As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to another episode of Four to Six with A and B, your Ohio State podcast on the Athletic. This is Bill Landis once again with Ari Wasserman. Ari, how are things out on the, the uh, western side of the country? A hundred and five degrees and, and beautiful. Just, just <laughs> it's perfect. Let's I, put it that way. I hear you're going on hikes out there now, huh? Yeah, and I'm trying to do that uh, West Coast healthy lifestyle uh, thing right now. I got a uh, vegetable, kale, um, apple, banana, protein powder, almond milk smoothie waiting for me. Wow. You know, I'm just doing the, you know, I'm just kind of trying to get my body a break from the from the pizza and the burgers for a while. I, uh, I'm just, I'm trying, it's really nice in Columbus, we're recording this on Monday, it's really nice in Columbus today, so I went out and went for a walk this morning, I took my dog, uh, Went over to the campus, walked through Buckeye Grove, and then walked around. Oh, you did? Yeah, walked around the shoe a little bit, and then uh, got super sad about sports not being around, and then went to uh, Tim Hortons. I got myself a sausage, egg, and cheese to uh, drown my sorrows, and now I feel pretty good. (laughs) You know what? Nothing on this planet helps to drown out uh, sorrows than a sausage, egg, and cheese. What was the uh, bread? What was the bread? Oh, just a just a plain bagel. Nothing okay. too fancy. Nothing too. It's fancy. a hierarchy of breakfast sandwich bread. I think would be good. You got sourdough, bagel, croissant, toast. I mean, there's a lot there that could be maybe later on yeah. in the in the podcast. Yeah, best breakfast sandwich bread. I heard the pen click. <laughs> Breads. Okay, let's later in the podcast also. 
later in the podcast. Uh, we will talk, uh, spin things ahead a little bit to the 2021 draft and how that might go for Ohio State because why not? We got nothing else to talk about. Uh, a bunch of subscriber questions that we didn't get to last week or like really the last two weeks. I grabbed a couple of those and we'll hit those at the end. Uh, our buddy Matt Fortuna, one of the national writers for The Athletic, wrote an article about Urban Meyer's tenure and what all of this draft success that Ohio State's had over the last five or six years uh, says about how things went under Urban. We'll discuss that as well. But before we get to that, Ari, we'll recap the draft just a little bit. 2020 NFL draft was over the weekend. I'm sure a lot of people listening watched it because it's the first live thing we've had other than a WNBA draft in the last, uh, what, like four or five weeks, right? Did you did it make you miss live sports, the fact that we finally had something live to watch that everyone oh, yeah. was totally engaged in? Yeah, we talked about this last week, but I was totally engaged in the NFL draft because it was the first time. You know what it's, it's funny to me is there's two types of things um, that have to be taken into account. Um, and this is what I think Adam Schefter meant uh, when he talked about missing live sports. But it's just it's not so much watching the game. It's the community of like all of us watching the same thing at the same time. Mm-hmm. And like our takes like Twitter has created an entirely different dynamic to watching sports that didn't exist you know, maybe even five or six years ago, even though Twitter did, like there's a sense of like if Alabama and LSU were on television, like we are all watching this together and we're all talking about it together. And like that's like honestly the only reason why I haven't canceled cable because I don't want to be behind on Hulu and, and not be able to take part in that. You know, I, and I, I think that that's just a very important thing. And it was the first time in a long time that we've been able to watch a sporting event and, and all freak out collectively about something. And that's what I miss the most. It felt really good to to fire off some some live tweets, some jokes, that some got live some takes, on uh, live take. I don't really have takes. I just have I have snide comments and jokes. That's all I have. <laughs> yeah. no, I don't put out hard takes because life's better when you don't put out hard takes. People like you more. I like life is pretty cool when you do. Actually, I think you need to you need to like uh, try life on my side of the equation just once. Just do one day. I don't know, man. I don't know if I can. handle You don't know it. if you can handle. You can't <laughs> hack it. I have what do you Twitter think would notifi- be the worst part of it? I don't. I have Twitter notifications for you on my phone, and every time my phone beeps, I get nervous because I don't know what I'm going to be seeing. Uh, I don't know. It just feel. I just feel like I'd be angry all the time. Yeah, you're probably. I have certainly more anger in my heart than you do reading some of the comments that I get from people. But like, I also get very passionately like involved in what I think, and like when people don't understand what I'm saying. It kind of drives me nuts. And it's not so much if I'm right or wrong. Like, I could sit here and act like, you know, I'm never wrong. I'm wrong all the time. I'm probably wrong more than I'm right. But the thing that irritates me the most in an argument is when the other person that you're arguing with can't understand your point. And that happens on Twitter more than any other argument form. So, like, I constantly am finding myself firing back at people, just not so much about being right or wrong, but trying to explain to them, like, listen, dude, here's the reason. You know what I mean? And yeah. I guess that's that's not healthy for me because there's just not enough room to, to, you know, express your point. But I do think that even on, like, our podcast or in times where you have, you know, five minutes of actual discussion about something, a lot of times you might be on the same page. And, like, this thing with Dave Biddle and I about talent matters, like, yeah. I mean, I think we both kind of think generally the same thing. It's just we couldn't figure out, you know, how to express that. And that's what drives me the most crazy. There's nothing wrong with with conviction. It's hard to come to to reach common ground. I think when you only have 240 characters or whatever it is. We have more than that here, though. So uh, when I when I think you're wrong on this podcast, I'll tell you. And we'll talk about it. 
but it's also like sports. Like we're supposed to disagree and talk shit and banter and go back and forth. Like that's why people like sports. Like when they read our stories or listen to our podcasts, if somebody's punching the steering wheel, calling me an idiot, like that's their form of entertainment for the day. And like, I enjoy being a part and in the center of that entertainment because you know, it's not like we're covering the Pentagon here. I always say that. And, you know, we're covering sports. And if we're wrong or we think something or, you know, whatever, then then that's the case. But it just makes the and the process of consuming sports more enjoyable. Speaking of the Pentagon, Chase Young went number two overall to the Washington Redskins. How do you like that for a segue? <laughs> yeah, that was that, that's why you're the host. That's it right there. That's the that's the magic. Uh, Ohio State had 10 players drafted over the weekend. Uh, I'll run through them quickly just in case you're listening to this on a Monday and hadn't gotten the whole list. Chase Young, first round to Washington. Jeff Okuda, first round, number three to Detroit. Damon Arnett, first round, number 19 to Las Vegas. J.K. Dobbins, second round, 55 to Baltimore. Devon Hamilton, third round, 73 to Jacksonville. Jonah Jackson, third round, 75 to Detroit. Malik Harrison, third round, 98 to Baltimore. Jordan Fuller, sixth round, 199 to the LA Rams, KJ Hill 7th round 220 to the LA Chargers, and Jay Sean Cornell 7th round 235 to Detroit. A couple undrafted free agents as well, but Ohio State had 10 guys drafted, and I don't think we want to spend a whole lot of time like laboring over who went where and fits and stuff like that because we don't cover the NFL and we, I don't think we're super experts in that and there's more interesting things to get to, but of all those draft picks, um, what was the most surprising draft development for you over the weekend as it relates to Ohio State? And somebody asked a question, just bluntly putting it, between Damon Arnett going into the first round at 19 or K.J. Hill falling into the seventh round, right? And I think that, like, we're on the on separate. I was stunned, and you can go back and listen to the podcast last week when you said Damon Arnett might be a late-round first pick. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I was, like, stunned that you thought that. And, like, credit to you for, for mailing it. But, you know, to get picked at number 19, I thought was a very, very uh, high pick for him. Because I just thought even if he got picked at like 30 or 31, you know, that would have been a high jump. So to, to jump into the teens, um, you know, and, I, and I, I don't think it's nuts. I think that, you know, in the draft, as I found out um, when I was drafting sandwiches with some of my colleagues <laughs> last week, um, when you love someone or love something, you got to go grab it. And maybe it's possible that the people in, in Vegas and Mayock and all those guys looked at him and said, this is a, a top 15 corner that we can go get right now. And, and you go get him, and then if you're right, you look like a genius. The number one thing that I think is so interesting about that, and obviously this is my most surprising thing and takeaway, is that I think that they still could have taken him in the second round and been safe. And you don't know that for sure, but it's more so about the value of the pick, uh, not necessarily whether you're right or wrong. And I think that, like, Damon Arnett is a nice player. The stat that you said last week is incredible. Playing opposite Jeff Okuda, only allowing one or less touchdown receptions in an entire season for the last two years. He played with that cast on his hand. You know, he made some big plays. Like, I'm not coming down on him. I just don't know if the value was there to jump up and take him at 19. Even though I said I thought Damon Arnett might sneak up into the back end of the first round, when his name came up at number 19, I yelled. Because <laughs> I, was, I was still pretty shocked by that. What uh, kind of yell was it? Do it. Do the yell. Uh, I think I might have just yelled, what the hell, really loud. But not like, <laughs> I, not, like not incredulously that I think like, because I don't, the thing I, I'm not a huge fan of is talking about these kind of things in a way that makes it sound like you're saying the player stinks. And I don't know if Damon Arnett will be good or not, but, you know, he got drafted in the first round and that's good for him. So so congrats to Damon Arnett. It was a pretty high pretty high reach. I think everybody agrees with that. If you look at a lot of lists, um about like the most puzzling decisions in the draft it's like that and 
Jordan Love being drafted by the Packers and like Jalen Hurts going in the second round to the Eagles, like all three of these things, I, I was, think were head scratchers for everyone. I was hoping that you would say the Hurts thing. I, I was hoping that the Philadelphia native would be able to say Jalen Hurts in this podcast for at least one thing. So I'm happy you knocked it out. I I yelled louder when Jalen Hurts went to the Eagles in the second round. I actually like <laughs> I actually like Jalen Hurts, and I think if the Eagles would have taken him in the third round, I would have been like, okay. It's kind of strange, but I think it makes sense. But when you have so many needs and one of them is not quarterback and you draft them in the second round and you should be drafting starters, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't get it. Uh, but anyway, this isn't an Eagles podcast. Uh, but I was I was more surprised. It can be. It, it can, can be. be. I wish it was. Go Birds. Because I think this is a nice time, too, not to interrupt the host here, but to say that Birds with Friends is the best podcast name in the Athletic Network. Yes, our Eagles podcast uh, with Bo Wolf and Zach Berman and Shiel Kapadia is called Birds with Friends, and I am envious of it every day of my existence. <laughs> it's perfect. All right, go ahead. Uh, I was more surprised by K.J. Hill going in the seventh round to 20 overall because in the end, Damon Arnett at 19 is probably 20-ish, 20 to 30 spots higher than, than I thought he, he would have gone. Um KJ Hill falling to 220 is probably like a hundred spots lower than I thought he would have gone. And I guess it's about testing. He didn't test particularly well. We all we've talked about his speed before. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but to me, I just watched him for two plus years and all I did was get open all the time. And he's Ohio State's career leader in receptions. And I know that requires some context because Ohio State didn't start throwing the ball until 2000. Um, but it's still really impressive. And he was super dependable for some really good offenses and, and teams typically i think a lot of times draft productive ohio state guys a little higher than you might think they would and kj hill for some reason fell all the way to the seventh round i was i was more surprised by that than i was by honor going 19 yeah we don't have to yeah i mean kj hill was more productive um and is the all-time leader in receptions in ohio state history and that alone makes you i think a fifth rounder or a sixth rounder but like i was kind of taken back a little bit about um how people were reacting to it because he um, wasn't he just projected to be a fifth or sixth round pick? It's not like he fell five rounds. Yeah, like I mean, he got picked to exactly probably where he probably should have gone based on um, the projections of the draft. So like I, I I know that we're in our little Ohio State bubble sometimes, but it's just like the idea of the complete freakout from a lot of people about the value and how is this possible? So what did he fall ten or fifteen picks? And in the course of a draft, that's really not that significant. So, no, to he, me, he I think fell that more than he, that. He was he was two twenty overall. He was like middle of the seventh round. No, I know, but wasn't he a sixth round pick? No, in most mock drafts, I, I think I think most mock most mock drafts that went seven rounds, I think probably at worst had him as a fifth round pick. Um, I would say more often than not, I saw him as a fourth round pick. Okay, well, three rounds is a is quite a bit. Um, I it was my understanding that it was projected to go uh, anywhere between the late fifth and middle of the sixth. So, um, but I don't know. I just I thought he was a very productive player, a very reliable player. Um, he never made me say "wow" once, not even in the times where he caught the game winning touchdown against Penn State. Like he he wasn't really high on the "wow" factor, and I think that. You know, we don't need to relitigate this <laughs> ongoing debate about what we stand. But my personal opinion is is that if you're not a burner, then you run the chance of, of fizzling out of the league, especially at a skill position player. And both players that I've 
thought were slow uh, or slow relative to what other players at their position in the draft might be fell. And I think that they're, that would probably be my number one reason for why. Um, but I think he got taken at a, at a little bit of a later place, but I don't think it was nuts. Dane Brugler, our excellent draft analyst at The Athletic, uh, gave K.J. Hill a third-round grade and had him as the 15th overall receiver prospect and what was a very good receiver draft. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, third third to seventh. You know, and, and Dane Brugler's a monster, and, like, the stuff that he's produced was great. I thought he's spot on. I, I mean, he knows more about that stuff than most people do, but, you know, I, it was my understanding that he was a fifth or sixth-round pick. If he fell from the third to the seventh round, then that would be more surprising than – I guess it's all relative to, in terms of what you expected him to be or where, like before the draft, where did you expect him to actually go? I I, th- when we did, I forget when we did a higher and lower. I think I said like early fourth round, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I mean, it's quite the fall. Yeah. It's a pretty big fall because it's not like he doesn't have off the field stuff. Um, and as far as I know, he wasn't hurt. So I don't know what it could have been other than the fact that he ran a 4-6, which like I get it is not great. He still got good short area quickness, and like T. Higgins ran like a four five eight, and I get T. Higgins is six three and not five eleven like KJ Hill, but it just it just doesn't doesn't compute to me that he would fall that far because his forty time was a tenth of a second slower than maybe you'd like it to be. That's a pretty precipitous fall, yeah. for that one reason. Yeah, it's just here's the thing that I said when we were texting, and I like I, I don't think you responded to it, and I want to know what you think. But KJ Hill was an all around better player in terms of being a receiver, uh, route running ability, hands for sure, um, the ability to just get open naturally, a lot of the things that go into being a great receiver than Paris Campbell, and Paris Campbell was just a burner mm-hmm. who like ran straight and would take one yard of room and take it to the house. And Campbell was a second-round pick, and, and K.J. Hill was a seventh-round pick. So what, in your mind, is the difference there? Is it just that Paris Campbell was generationally fast, or like what – because to me, I think that K.J. Hill, if you have 10 boxes to check for a receiver, K.J. Hill probably checks 9 out of the 10 over Paris, and then the speed factor is a five-round difference. And I do think that, like, I think that NFL scouts and GMs are obsessed with speed, which is why the 40-yard dash is the number one paid to uh, paid attention um, statistic from the combine every year. Like, I think it's a big deal. Yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not trying to minimize the importance of speed. Um, it's obviously very important, and any football coach will tell you that. I don't think it's the end-all, be-all. I don't think it's a prerequisite to be a good football player. But, um, yeah, Paris got drafted in the second round because he's crazy fast. And, and you, I think it's easier to become infatuated with projection when a guy's that fast, even if maybe he's not the most polished. And Paris, to his credit, really grew as a receiver over the final two years of, of his career. So I'm not trying to say he wasn't a good receiver. Um, but based on watching those guys in college and just sort of knowing what I know about them as natural receivers, I think Paris probably went around earlier than he should have. And KJ went maybe two rounds later than he should have. Um, I would probably take Cam If I was an NFL draft guy and I was in the room, I a hundred percent see why you would take a guy like Campbell so high using my own eyeballs as like an untrained expert not an expert, just like an untrained eye watching Ohio State. I think KJ Hill's a better player. Well, you know what's crazy is is that like Paris Campbell had wow plays. Like I can picture a few of them just off the top of my head of just wowness. And I don't know if there's a metric for wowness, but KJ Hill had no wowness. And I think that that's a, a huge deal. Yeah, I don't really care about wowness. Yeah, no, I know, but I, I don't like. I think I think wowness matters. Like, 
I don't know. I don't even know what wowness is. We don't. Have, we, you know what wowness is. You know what it is. What do you mean you don't know, don't know what, what it like, is? Braxton Miller had wellness. I know. Braxton Miller had wellness. I would. I would have never drafted him. Like he. He wasn't a quarterback in the NFL, and he sure as hell couldn't play receiver. And he's like the most wow guy ever. So what does that even mean? No, I know. I I, I agree with you. But there are times where Paris Campbell like took over a game by just having one yard of room, and I think that they're. I don't know. I I mean I think the the way that the draft played out kind of I think would mirror what I'm trying to say. But I also understand why just saying somebody is too slow or isn't fast enough isn't enough of an explanation to put the entire thing into context. I also think too that weird stuff happens especially in a situation mm-hmm. where I mean listen was what was the deepest position group in the draft this year? Wasn't it receiver? Yeah. So, like, in a world where that's the case, I, I think it's harder to maybe even put it all on his shoulders. I just think weird stuff happens. Runs happen, value, maybe somebody um, had K.J. Hill number two on their board behind somebody else who happened to fall. You know, like, just decision makings in general from other teams, just it's that's why you can't really plan these falls. And, you know, seventh round is probably the worst round to be drafted in, and some people, and I think hmm. even you made the – the point that you might rather be a, a free agent who can pick the best situation for them rather than getting drafted by a team in the seventh round. But I do think that KJ might have a chance to be in the league for a long time. And, um, you know, I, sometimes this stuff's just out of your control, you know? If you're going to fall, there are worse places to fall than, than Los Angeles. I will say that. Cool sure uniforms. You can have a nice life out there. Great uniforms. I love that the new ones they just put out are awesome. I don't know that I've seen the new ones. I'll have to check that out. There's not much difference to them, but they're the powder blues and they're beautiful. If they're powder blue, then uh, it's fine. Okay, yeah. let's move on from that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that the 10 picks that Ohio State had in this draft brings their total uh, over the playoff era. So from the 2015 draft through this past weekend to 50 draft picks. That's a lot. It's the second most over that span behind only Alabama. I think Alabama has 55. And that prompted our good friend, Matt Fortuna, to write an article and the headline of that article is, In light of Ohio State's draft success, did Urban Meyer actually underachieve? And if you want to go read that article, it is on The Athletic. If you're not subscribed to The Athletic, you can get subscribed at theathletic.com slash 4-6. Ari, how should Ohio State fans feel as the program keeps churning out all of this NFL talent and has one national championship trophy to show for it? Before I begin, those Chargers uniforms are badass. <laughs> I'm just looking at them right now. They're perfect. All shades of blue, everything about them, the yellow pants, that's a home run. Um, so this is a very complex issue because if you look down at the number of talented players who have been drafted and what Ohio State has had over the years from that uh, pure talent standpoint, Urban Meyer created that. So like before he came to Ohio State – Ohio State was a very good program. After he came to Ohio State, it became one of the top three programs in America every year because he raised the bar for how much talent is coming into the program and the bar that's still set to this day. So the thing that's always so interesting to me about these discussions are, can you hang the coach by the standards that he created? So in terms of all the players that are on this team or all are all all that went to the NFL. I don't know why I got tongue tied there. 
yeah, he should have won more games, in my opinion. And that's crazy to say for a guy who lost nine in seven years. Um, but the thing is, is when you get out of the blocks, how can you judge him if he's the one that created the new standard? So he created the new standard and didn't, and then didn't live up to the standard of what you're supposed to be. And that standard at Ohio State is is playoff or bust. And missing the playoff in 15 and 17, if he would have just made the playoff those two years and lost before winning a national championship, I would say he did not underachieve. I think missing the playoff with some of these stacked teams in 15 especially is the reason why he did. Underachieve just seems like a very harsh way to describe it to me. I, I agree that there's something, it feels like there's something left on the table, particularly with 15. But then I also struggle with that a little bit because like he did win the national title in 14. It's not like he had that 2013 recruiting class and did nothing with it, but they won a title. And they didn't get back there with the same team, basically, that in theory was better because they were older and more developed because they lost a, a bad game to a decent Michigan State team, but they shouldn't have never lost that game. Um, and that, that like that's the only one I really look back on and think like, Man, they really blew it. I don't know. Like, 16, they made it, and, and I don't think they were of the caliber to be there. Maybe there was only uh, so many teams that deserved to be there. But, like, that team in 16 was nowhere near the other in, in talent and the way it was playing Ohio State's other two playoff teams. Um, I think 17 and 18 had pretty deep flaws um, both years, more on the defensive side. Than, than on the offensive side, but certainly had offensive struggles in both those years too. I don't know if I look at both of those teams and think like, man, they were good enough to go to go the distance. I just I don't maybe they should have been, but they just didn't play well enough, and maybe that goes back to the underachieving thing. It's just hard for me to label a, a, a run where you lose nine games in seven years, win three conference titles, go to three playoffs or go to two playoffs. I guess with Urban. That's it right there, um, Bill. That's it. That's the whole thing. You can no, list I, all the other I, I things off, you. but that is the stat. Two playoffs. No, but I, I still think. But I still think I think underachieve is too. I think underachieve is a step too far, and I don't I don't know what other label to use. Underachieve feels like a step too far to me because it undermines a whole lot. Yeah, that this program this program was in a position before he came here. It like it really could have gone off the rails, and I know historically Ohio State hasn't. It's like the only program in the history of college football that hasn't had a significant downturn. But where it was after Trestle and that 2011 season after Luke Fickle like did the best that he could with with a crappy situation. I don't know if anybody else can come in and do what Urban did. Like maybe Nick Saban, that's it. So like to say that this guy underachieved when he like saved their program, I think undermines too much of what he did. It just feels too strong. I think that's a really interesting point because like I could sit here and I already did just say that I think Urban Meyer underachieved, but in the same breath, I think that Urban Meyer is the greatest coach in Ohio State history and brought it to um, heights that it had never seen before. And I can say those two things in the same breath. And that gets back to the original point about can you hold somebody accountable for not reaching the standard that they set? And that happened to Thad Mata at the end of his career, too. Um, this is something that happens pretty commonly. But, like, this is the thing. Ohio State will be in a position moving forward uh, for the foreseeable future to compete for a national championship every single year because of Urban Meyer's existence. I do think that there were things that could have been done differently during his year to maximize. So I guess instead of saying underachieved, the better way to put it, maybe you'll agree with this, is did Ohio, did Ohio State maximize its potential under Urban Meyer? And the answer to that is no, and it's a little bit softer in terms of how it's put. Because yeah. um, you look at these drafts and all these numbers and the talent, and like as you know, I've been losing my mind for three straight weeks uh, on mm-hmm. the internet about talent evaluation, and everybody always goes, well, yeah, talent, talent, talent. 
well, then why did Ohio State only make the playoff for two years? And it's just like, well, it's because it was a dumpster fire. Uh, at least in 15 it was. And they lost a few games in Purdue and Iowa um, that they should have never lost. And I guess that that is a um, coaching mishap or, you know, things that happen, you know. But in my opinion, the teams were too damn good to not at least make the playoff. I think they should have made the playoff at least three and, and probably four times in the five years that are the six years that it existed during Meyer's tenure, and they didn't. And why didn't they do it? I, uh, people can say loyal to a fault, uh, shitty game plans against teams that they overlooked, um, you know, unfortunate circumstances, whatever. The guy only lost nine nine times in, in seven years, but I think if he would have lost nine times in seven years and you took away the Iowa and Purdue games and turned those into playoff losses, then we would be looking at things a lot differently right now. I think that the fact that this team, with all these draft picks and the crazy numbers that everybody keeps posting and all this stuff, is completely magnifying of the situation that Ohio State only won one national title and only made the playoff twice. I mean, I I just it was not enough for what he built. I can live with did not maximize. I think I, th- I guess in the end you're saying the same thing, but it just feel it, that feels better to me. It's softer, like you said. Um, but I I agree with that. I agree with like the the talent they've accumulated, and you can you can parse it a lot of different ways and like really dig into the roster breakdown and say like, well, these guys left here and there were holes here and there were holes there, and like come up with ways to explain away. But just on the whole, to have this much talent to recruit as well as they have, to be in the, in the conference that was slow to catch up to them, that's better now than it was, you know, four four years ago. Um, they should have made the playoffs more more than twice. And I, like, I 100% agree with that. And even before the playoff, Ohio State went 12-0 and uh, the first year, and had they not been under sanctions of no fault of Urban, they would have played Notre Dame and likely and probably would have beaten Notre Dame for the first national championship in year one with yep. what would have been, in my opinion, the worst team that Ohio State had in seven years under Urban. Like, they, they literally went undefeated with the worst team he had. Um, and granted, they didn't have to play the Big Ten Championship yet because that didn't exist. And Or did it exist? It did exist. No. I just – I can't remember. No, they weren't in it, yeah. They it weren't in it because – They didn't play in it. It existed, but they didn't play in it because uh, they were sanctioned out of postseason. But they, they might have – and then in 2013, they had a team that was in the National Championship hunt, and they blew it to Michigan State in the Big Ten Championship game despite being much talented – much more talented than them. And I could I could go back in time and say 2013 was a coaching blunder because they put the wrong safety on the field in the most important game of the year. So, like, there are certain things that you can go back and, and change two or three results of certain games or things, and they're in a championship game one or two more times. And if you put yourself on the field for those games, you might win one or two. In 2014, we covered that shit. We didn't think that there was any chance in hell they were going to win the national title that year. So no. we can go back in time and say, well, Ohio State had deep flaws in 2017, and they had deep flaws in 18. Absolutely. I'd put that talented Ohio State team with a month to prepare on the field with any of the teams that, that they played and they didn't play. And Ohio State absolutely could have won the national championship in 15, and they should have been playing on the field at least 17 or 18 one time. So two results, two games you change, one game maybe you change the entire outlook of the thing, but he absolutely did not maximize the potential that he – that he brought in in terms of the talent that he brought in. Cause it's, it's unparalleled besides Alabama. No team has accumulated talent at this level. Yeah. Matt Brown, uh, one of our editors tweeted out a graphic that I think demonstrates it pretty well. And, and it's just a bar graph, but you see Ohio state and Alabama at the top. Um, and that bar is pretty far over almost all the way to the end. 
And there are other programs that have some good runs. LSU, Florida, Michigan's up there in the top 10. Like Utah's pretty high. There are a lot of programs that develop NFL talent pretty well that I think fly under the radar a little bit. But this is this is another level of talent accumulation, development, and then uh, churning it out when it gets to the NFL level. And I think when you do that, the expectations are obviously higher. So and there's, there's not, one more point yeah. I wanted to make, Bill, and I think you'll agree with me on this, but Alabama's dominance of this past decade – Winning eight recruiting championships in a row, and how many did national championships has Nick Saban won? I can't even remember. Ooh. Is it four or five in the last decade? Five, five. I think it's whatever. Five. Whether it's four or five, Alabama and now Clemson to a certain extent has made it seem easy to win a national championship, and like people always, it's, not. <laughs> it's really freaking hard to win it all, and everything has to come up right especially in the new playoff system. You know, for Ohio State to have won a national championship this year, they would have had to beat Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin for the second time, Clemson, and LSU in a row. Does that mean that Ohio State didn't have one of its all-time great teams this past year? No, but God, that can't be the expectation, which is why I always set the baseline of win your conference, one lost conference champion for the most part gets in unless you lose to Purdue by 100, and you... (laughs) You get in, and that's the baseline to, to with that talent, you put the talent on the field in the playoff. And if you lose in the playoff, sometimes you just lose to the better team. Maybe sometimes you lose a heartbreaker like they lost to Clemson. You know, whatever. I think everybody can live with a playoff loss. It's the continual watching of playoff games with teams that I view are were inferior to Ohio State because they didn't get a chance to play on that stage. And, like, there were times in 15 Michigan State got their ass kicked by Alabama. And it's just like, would Ohio State with a month to prepare have won that game? Maybe they wouldn't have won it. Maybe they weren't locked in. Maybe the quarterback parade uh, back and forth was too much to really put them in sync. But could have Ohio State won the national title in 15? Absolutely. Um, when Ohio State didn't go to the playoff in 17 and 18, you're sitting at home or at the Cotton Bowl or the Rose Bowl thinking, could this team stack up with the talent on these rosters? I would put Ohio State on the same field as every one of the national champions of the last seven years. So I think they would have won all of them, half of them, maybe not. But I think they belonged on that on that same plane, and they didn't do it. Want to hear something crazy about all these draft picks they've had over the last five, was it five years? One, two, three, four, five, six years? What's that? Um, what do you associate urban meyer with in terms of his impact on college football more than anything else recruiting no that's not the answer i was looking for what do you mean ask it again uh, maybe dynamic offense out. transforming oh. the way the college that major college football programs deployed their talent and played offense would you that agree with that be, yeah i would agree with that well you're the one that wrote the story right of him being part of the uh the creation of the spread so yeah, he didn't. He didn't create it. Um, I think he pulled a lot of things together and kind of perfected it. And but then he did what kind of nobody else was doing at the time, which was do it with really good players. Um, of these fifty draft picks they've had, there've been fifteen first rounders. How many do you think have been on offense, and how many do you think have been on defense? Twelve defense. Close. Eleven. Eleven defense. Four offense. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was just They're, easy to do the math in your head because of the corners that have gone. It just and the defensive ends. When you like break it down and count all of it up, it's it is even though even if you followed it and you know it sort of anecdotally, it is kind of a, a of a startling thing to see that 
the vast majority of the top end talent drafted out of Ohio State server been here has been on defense. And even if you go deeper than that, I looked at the first three rounds, there have been 35 picks in the first three rounds. 20 of them have been defensive players, 15 offensive players, and only eight of those guys have been skill players. So you associate Urban Meyer with speed yeah, and yeah. dynamic skill offensive players, and eight of his 35 first of eight of the 35 guys who get picked in the first three rounds have been offensive skill players and like it doesn't add up to me i don't know well, if it says that, anything it just it was yeah. like a number jumped out at me well i just remember and i don't know um where you were on the big 10 versus sec debate back in the year 2010 or 2011 but everything about the big 10 back then you were in college right in 2010 2010 i was in college yeah, yeah. And I had just graduated college, um, and I just remember the entire landscape of the sport was SEC speed, Big Ten is slow. And like Urban Meyer, after they beat the crap out of Ohio State in the 06 National Championship game, it was all about how athletic uh, Florida's defensive ends were and how much faster Florida had, was in terms of team speed. And I think that that's like when you associate Urban Meyer with speed, I mean, you might think of Percy Harvin and all like the big plays and Offensive touchdowns and stuff that had happened um, during that time. But um, I think it's more so about team speed, athleticism at play, at positions like offensive line and defensive end, and everybody on the team is fast. And from that standpoint, I think Ohio State's had some pretty fast teams and not so much, I don't think, like Jalen Marshall or Dontre Wilson isn't really the embodiment of that. I think it's like the fact that Chase Young – can run almost as fast as a halfback can out from the defensive end spot. And, you know, I think that that's not so surprising to me. Um, And the way that Ohio State rotates a lot of their defensive players, you don't necessarily see that a lot, at least on the offensive line. And I think that gets more people into the game, creates more game tape, and then in turn turns into more draft picks. So um, there's a a pretty good amount of that um, in terms of the explanation I would give um, for that. Stat. I didn't go. I didn't go back and look at his Florida classes, but I'm sure. I'm sure, like you said, it plays out the same way that he probably had more defensive guys drafted than offensive guys. But the thing about it that's interesting to me is, if you look at Ohio State from 2012 to 2018, I would I would venture to say it was top ten in offense, maybe every year but one, or maybe every year but two. And I don't think that's the case with the defense. Um, not that they were. They only had one like really bad defensive year, but I think there were some other years where they weren't quite as good defensively i think they were more often among the top teams in college football offensively than they were defensively yet when you look at what they're turning out to the nfl draft defense kind of far outweighs the offense and it's just kind of an interesting like juxtaposition to me like i said i don't i don't think it says anything about ohio state although i will say like in 16 when i said they weren't really a playoff caliber team like their defense was awesome and their offense stunk uh, but then it kind of it's it's starting to it flipped a little bit after that. The offense is a little better than defense now. They're they're balanced and where they need to be. But I think with Ryan Day, I wonder if that might flip at all. I think it will flip with you when you look at the talent they're recruiting on the offensive side of the ball. It's not to say that they're not recruiting as well defensively or recruiting as well as they should be because I think for the most part they are. Um, but I think we're going to start to see this turn a little bit, at least become maybe a little more balanced when you talk about top end NFL draft production. And what comes out of Ohio State, I think you might see some more offensive guys rise, particularly offensive skill guys, quarterbacks and receivers, um, rise up to to the level to help even it out with the defense, which leads me to next year's draft. 2021. Uh, Justin Fields, I think, is the most, I don't know if he's the most interesting, but he's the biggest name of Ohio State's draft class. 
he is in the conversation for first quarterback taken. I don't know if he will be. There's some guys behind him in Trevor Fields that could sneak up there and weird stuff happens. Like I don't know the last time a guy was the presumed number one starter like all the way through and actually end up or number one pick and actually end up becoming one. I feel pretty confident that that will happen this year with with Lawrence or Fields, maybe Lawrence. But it's a funny thing to look at, Ari. I don't know how much we want to talk about this. The fact that we just watched the draft where Jacob Beeson, former Georgia quarterback, who transferred after Jake Fromm came in, goes in the fourth round. Jake Fromm, who was there and held off Justin Fields, and then Justin Fields transferred, goes in the fifth round. And now we're talking about a world where Justin Fields might be like the maybe number one, I think at the very least a top five draft pick in next year's draft. It's kind of really impossible to um, decipher where Justin Fields might go next year, but I do think there's like a we're living in the world where it could be number one overall. Um, and the whole discussion point, I guess, of the relitigation of of this whole thing is how did Ohio State get this kid in the transfer market? You know, usually you get usually you get these players. Uh, or transfers are just there to plug holes. Like Jonah Jackson is the perfect example. Somebody leaves Rutgers, comes in, plugs a hole as a starter, gets drafted, and you know helps Ohio State make it through a year where there's a there's a potential weakness uh, on their offensive line. But to get a player that is this athletic, has these natural gifts, um, looks the way he looks, plays the way he plays, it is unfathomable to me. And if you go back and you remember um, our podcast last spring. Do you remember my vibe on Justin Fields when he first got here? What was it? Tell me. Yeah, you uh, you you poo pooed him because you wondered why he would have been allowed to leave, and then everyone, maybe yourself included, a little bit put way too much stock in a freaking spring game, and then uh, yeah, you were all wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I but like, what was my reasoning? Like my whole reasoning for not he would have been allowed to leave. Yeah, why? How would a guy that's as talented? How could a guy this talent? And you were just like, dude, you're wrong. He's not gonna suck. He's gonna be awesome. He's gonna have he's six foot three. I think the exact quote was six foot three, runs like a gazelle and can throw the ball a mile. That's exactly like if you go back and you find our Justin Fields podcast from last spring, I think that's an exact quote. And it's just like if you can identify it <laughs> like you and I and I get that you're a one half step <laughs> closer to being an NFL talent evaluator than I am. You're Mr. X's and O's. The guy oh, no, puts he, no Landis puts uh, videos and photos up on the internet of arrows of offensive plays going. So like he knows his shit because there's arrows. Um, but Kirby Smart makes seven million dollars a year. And when we were talking about this before we got back or uh, before we started podcast, you said, "Well, we don't know what he looked like in practice." Granted, we don't. Maybe he he was terrible. Maybe he was throwing a bunch of interceptions. I saw. On Twitter yesterday, somebody said he was an interception machine. The guy who threw three picks of all of last year was an interception machine, maybe, at Georgia. But does, with the benefit of hindsight, and everybody can say it's the benefit of hindsight, it is, we know definitively that he made the wrong decision now. It doesn't mean that the decision that he made at the time was irrational or nobody can understand how or why he did that. I absolutely understand why he did it. It was the wrong decision. In my opinion, somebody who was in, making $7 million a year to put together a football program needs to be able to identify his starting quarterback. 
especially considering the fact that the man had a front row seat to the greatest coach in college football ever, benching his multiple year starter in the middle of halftime of a national championship game and then losing to them. It's not nuts. Jake Fromm did get Georgia to the, the glimpse or the brink of winning a national championship. But if Tua or the version of Tua is on your bench and he's leaving, then you know what, man? SEC football, it just matters more. Make the make the call. You know, it, it's just crazy to me. It's just it, it's absolutely nuts how everybody's like, well, he made the only decision that you could make. Okay, fine. He made the perfect decision because if he's right by sticking with Fromm, then everybody goes he's right. And if he's wrong, then everybody can make excuses for him about why he made the decision that he did. But in this world where we're writing columns and I'm hitting home runs off of columns that have um, the word ruthless in the headline, where the hell was his ruthlessness? He made the wrong decision. That's it. It's a fact. Why he made it is a completely different discussion, but it was the wrong It was the wrong thing to do. I mean, it wasn't the only decision he could have made because he could have made the other <laughs> could have made the decision to keep Justin Fields or make Justin Fields a starter in twenty no, eighteen. No, no, I'm I'm saying like the people who yeah. say like he made the only decision yeah. he could have made. It's like, well, that's not true. <laughs> he made the easy layup decision that everybody would understand at the time, but just because everybody would understand it doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do. If Nick Saban brought Tua in and Tua got his head beat in and they sucked and lost the rest of the game, everybody like Nick Saban's a nutbag. Why would he do that? Jalen Hurts brought them to the SEC championship last year. and on the, He could have made all the same bullshit excuses that people are making about Fromm right now. And then somebody in that position needs to be able to identify the talent on their own team. They, he recruited the kid. It's not like you got to tell the, Kirby Smart how good this guy is. And, I, you know, I know it's a really, really impossible, tough situation to be in. I've used the word impossible. It is. It's a really shitty situation to have to decide between benching your multiple-year potential top five pick quarterback for somebody who hasn't done anything yet and maybe hasn't earned it yet. I understand that. I also am also really on the other side of did JT Barrett deserve to start his last year at Ohio state, which is a discussion that you and I have almost gotten a fist fight over, you know? And I think in my personal opinion that that was the wrong decision. So I'm all in four of having discussions about why this happened. Am I right or wrong in this debate? Absolutely not. But my only point is, is it's, Let's not pretend like he didn't make the wrong decision. He did. Whether or not you can live with the reason he made the wrong decision is your prerogative. Well, I guess it's a matter of, like, I don't know if in if in 2018 he decides that he's going to switch quarterbacks in the middle of the year. Maybe nothing changes. Maybe Justin Fields is a true freshman, comes in, and he's just okay. Um, but the long-term payoff of that is that Justin Fields, potential number one overall pick, at the very least like a top ten pick in next year's draft, is still on your roster. And I don't know. That's probably that's probably worth it. That that alone is probably worth the it. The extra to make that year decision. of the extra year of eligibility is huge. Like that's I mean that's that's got to be a factor. But well, two, it would, been, it would have been an extra two what, years. Extra two years. Well, yeah. But I'm saying Fromm's gone now. Justin Fields is still in college. So an extra year, if you had to pick between the two, two years of Justin Fields or one more year of Fromm, I think you pick two of Fields anyway. Mm-hmm. But. The other thing too, and again, not an ex, not a arrows in my graphics type of guy like you, but what happened to Fromm this year? They kind of took a step back with offensive skill. He kind of had a really bad year. He fell in the draft. Does Kirby Smart, with two years having worked with him, despite the fact that at a time Fromm was considered a potential top five pick, not have the vision to see that maybe he's more limited physically and athletically than 
people thought he was at the time. I mean, we're not talking about like Dwayne Haskins versus Joe Burrow here. I mean, in terms of physical ability and I mean, that was a neck and neck race. It was really hard. And when Joe Burrow left, Dwayne Haskins had a Heisman finalist campaign and was drafted in the top 15. And Joe Burrow wasn't nearly as good as him that next year. So at the moment in time, he made the decision. Whatever. But like when you're when you're making the comparison from a physical ability standpoint right next to each other, I just cannot imagine a head coach who recruited the number one recruit in America not identifying that. And maybe I sound crazy. And if I do, that's fine. I'm just saying as an outsider, based on the information that I have right now, I can't explain it. I, I can't explain how that could happen. I think it's easy for us as people who watched Justin Fields very closely last year to look at that situation and think, like, well, how the hell did that happen? But I also see the flip side of it. Like, if you were around the Georgia program in 2018 and we weren't and you have more information about it, maybe there's a way to explain it. I don't know. Like, the interceptions and practice stuff is like, I don't know if that's true. I know that's what Georgia wants everybody to think because a lot of people say it and, I like, it's not hard to figure out where that information comes from because they're not there watching practice. They're getting told what happened in practice. Um, so if that's George's way of getting out in front of it and saying this guy was throwing interceptions, we couldn't play him. Like, okay, whatever. I don't that like it's kind, it's kind of a lame excuse to me when one guy is like pretty clearly a better football player than the other. Uh, I have no problem ultimately if you fall back on like just play the best players, whoever you think the best player is, play them, and regardless of class and. I don't know, personal connection and how you feel about them. When you're competing at this level, there has to be a, a level of ruthlessness to how you operate. And, you know, you hate to say it because people's feelings are involved and they're not getting paid and it's not a business. These guys are trying to play and get to the next level so they can ultimately get paid. And maybe those things to come into consideration too. But at the end of the day, your job is to win games and win championships. And your, your job as a coach when you get paid millions of dollars is to play the best players at each position. I just have a really hard time envisioning a scenario where you could watch Justin Fields and Jake Fromm play and think like, yeah, Jake Fromm's better. When Nick Saban benched Jalen Hurts, do you remember? My jaw was on the floor. Do you remember your reaction to it? Like what? Yeah, like, my immediate reaction to it was, here come the urban takes. <laughs> well, you know what I did, right? I ran right to my room and wrote a column about how urban never would have done that. Yeah. And it's, I, I, I would do it again because he wouldn't have. Whether that's right or wrong, whatever, another debate. But on our survey to Ohio State fans about what your biggest takeaway about Urban Meyer was, I think I read loyal to a fault 1.5 million times. <laughs> so, you know, fine. If you're in the loyal to a fault uh, boat, then you're in bench your starting quarterback boat because it's the same thing. And I, I think it was the right thing to do. And then Jalen Hurts. Uh, comes out of the game, is a great teammate because he was a great leader at Alabama, claps his hands, hugs his um, teammate, wins a national championship, gets the ring, then obviously goes into the transfer portal. Um, he transfers to another major program, has a great year. Um, they make the playoff. He gets drafted. Alabama fans love him. It worked out well. If Jake Fromm would have hit the transfer portal, there would have been 10 other programs that would have loved to have him, and Georgia fans would have loved to watch him. It ha- it happened in the same conference. <coughs> the same conference. I, I don't know. It, it, and to be the team that lost to the team that did that crazy move at halftime should have been a lesson, in my opinion. <laughs> Nobody got a better look at it than 
I think Kirby Smart. It would be interesting. I don't know this. Maybe you have a read on it because I think you've, you've talked with Seth Emerson or Georgia Raider more, more than I have. I don't know if in 2018 – in 2017 at Ohio State, there were fairly loud calls, I think, for Urban Meyer to make a change, and he didn't do it. I don't know. Like, were people banging on Kirby's door saying you got to play fields in 2018? I don't think that that was the case, no, because at the information at the time going into spring was um, – that I think Jake Fromm might have been a top five pick. And, like, again, my whole premise of this discussion is it's not for us as fans and writers to bang our fists and say make a change. It's for the person who's making enough money to buy a Malibu mansion every year (laughs) being able to identify what he has in his own program, whether or not it's a popular decision or not. Um, And that's that's my uh, number one take. Was it an impossible decision? Maybe it was. Should Kirby Smart be fired or chastised for making the wrong decision? No. But everything in this world of discussion about sports is um, bang your fist against the wall, the most extreme thing ever. I just think that Kirby Smart made the wrong decision in this in this situation. I still think he's a hell of a coach. He's still recruiting at the highest level possible outside of Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State right now, but still in that same category. Didn't they win the recruiting crown last year or two years ago? Two years ago. They're bringing up five-star prospects like a – there's a reason why their program is in this discussion. So to me, like I, I think Kirby Smart might be one of the top five coaches in America right now. He made the wrong choice in this one specific decision in an admittedly very hard and difficult situation to be in. I, I don't know how anybody can disagree with that. All right, let's move off Georgia because this is an Ohio State. Hey, podcast. hey, Bill, is that me doing the 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 pounding of the fist? I'm like, I'm I'm doing it again, right? Like the passionate about my point type of thing yeah yeah it's okay it's good i think i think you it was well stated and uh reasonable and i don't know how anyone who doesn't feel a need to protect the georgia football program would disagree with you all right there you go um dwayne haskins goes 17 overall in the 2018 draft no quarterback selected this year it looks like justin fields will be a top 10 pick at worst, in the next in the next draft, barring something unforeseen, are we now entering the era of Ohio State is a first round quarterback factory moving forward with Ryan Day in charge? Um, that was another point that I wanted to make that I didn't make when you talked about the um, defense versus offensive draft picks of the Urban Meyer era on the lopsidedness. They haven't had they've had really good. Um, quarterbacks for the college game but they haven't really had very many pros and at one position you've got one guy playing three or two or three years and you know that doesn't exist on the defensive side so just a unrelated tangent to that but you know i don't know man um justin fields is cam newton Mm -hmm. like i mean like we can say that now right like i remember last year when we were um i wrote a story talking to people from the opening about justin fields and how he was the most advanced prospect that they'd seen at that level in the history of the opening. And, you know, the opening has the top 10, 15 quarterbacks in the country competing every year. And they said that he was Cam Newton. And I didn't, I don't think I ran the quote because I was just like too much like to say it, but like, can we say it now? I think you can say it now because literally every person you talk to who was at the opening, the elite 11 that year is like, Oh yeah, he's the best quarterback I've ever seen. Cam Newton. So like from a physical standpoint, which also gets back to the Georgia debate, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's no sh- no shit. He's going to be a top five pick because people that can throw the ball and are as big as him and as fast as him are top five picks. Now, I, I think that, you know, between Haskins 
and now Fields, it's a good trend, you know, and um, Ryan Day is known for his development of, of quarterbacks, and I think this is going to be a great, great jumping off point when we do our assistance draft here in a little bit, which is a little peak peak for you guys who are uh, still listening. <laughs> it's a tease. Um, but I would like to see um, more than one quarterback who was recruited and developed by Ryan Day from start to finish before I make that that assumption yet. Two is is um, a pattern. I think three is a trend. I agree with that. I think we're heading in that direction. Um, someone like C.J. Stroud or, or Jack Miller, whoever ends up winning this job, Kyle McCord after them, I think that's the ultimate test. Um, credit credit to Ryan Day and Mike Yersich last year, I think, for developing Justin Fields in a pretty good way. Um, it was also a hell of a starting point for, for the two of them to develop a quarterback, too, and it's not to, to take it away from but I think it's it's always worth mentioning at a place like Ohio State. It's like, we develop players really well. It's like, yes, you do, but you also get awesome players, and it's easier I think they have a better hit rate when the players come in on some level of the awesome scale already not all of them like Devon Hamilton developed into a third round pick and um, some of these offensive linemen have too but a guy like Justin Fields like yeah he he if you're doing your job right he should be a first round pick um, but it's not like it's been the norm at Ohio State and I think we're, we're we're heading in that direction with the way they're recruiting at the position with the way that Haskins played with they even you know going back to 2017 I thought I thought JT was much better with Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson running the offense than he was the previous two years. I'm not saying anything on a turn with that, but just even watching him play as a quarterback, I think like mechanically he got a little better um, just with like the intricacies of the position. And then Dwayne did. Um, part of Joe Burrow's development happened here. I'm not going to give Ohio State too much credit for that. Um, and then you have Haskins and Fields and, and what's to come. So I think we're heading down this road. Um, Fields, I think next year's a no doubt about it first round pick. Uh, the record for first round, not the record, but the most first round picks Ohio State's had in this run we've been talking about is five. How close do you think they might come to that in 2021? Which is another way of asking, like, how many first rounders at the moment, and I know we're projecting a lot, do you think Ohio State might have in 2021? Four or five. Who are your guys? Can I just read your piece? Why don't you tell them? You're the one who just yeah, but those just, just published War and Peace. On that it. story that I wrote, I wrote a story that's up on the Athletic now about the the about some 2021 prospects to watch for Ohio State. Uh, but that wasn't all first rounders. It was just like a couple first rounders and like some other guys. I thought well, like Baron Browning and Pete Werner were on the list. I am not on alert for either of those guys to be a first round pick. Possibly Browning if he has a monster year because he's a freak athlete. Not Werner. So. Um, not everyone on there is a first-round pick or like a, a, a guy projecting to be a first-round pick. So um, I think right now the only, uh, there are two that I feel really good about, Fields and Sean Wade, uh, a third in Chris O'Leary. Not Wyatt Davis? Oh, I thought you would, uh, you no. would, you would waltz come, into the first round with Wyatt Davis. No, because interior offensive linemen, wow. it's, not, it's, not like, it's not like teams load up on interior offensive linemen in the first round of the draft. I think Wyatt Davis is good. My love for Wyatt Davis has not waned whatsoever. But I'm also trying to be realistic. So I feel really good about Fields and Wade. I feel decent about Chris Olave because I think he's he's on the cusp of a big season with the way the offense is going. Um, and I feel decent, maybe slightly less than decent about Wyatt Davis. I think ultimately he'd be a second-round pick, maybe Josh Myers. Thayer Munford, I think, has the build and the talent to possibly become a first-round tackle. He just needs to get healthy and put together a really solid season. But guys I feel really good about for first-rounders, are there's only two. It's Fields and Wade, and, and I'll reach and say a third on Olave right now. Okay, well, the four I was thinking were Olave, Wade, um, 
Justin Fields and Davis. And I like I just thought that you know again, it's kind of hard, like you said, to to project interior offensive linemen. I think uh, Josh Myers is somebody who should also be in this discussion mm-hmm. at the very least to have his name mentioned. Um, and you love him too, don't you? I do like him. Uh, centers in the first round are pretty rare. There's a good center from Oklahoma, Creed Humphrey. Um, two centers in the first round is not something that happens a whole lot. Um, and Josh Myers also like he didn't put his name in at all for draft consideration after last year, which I was surprised by. And I'm on like uh, I'm on minor alert for him to just be like, oh, I'm going to play five years. Like Billy Price played five years, I think, when no one expected that to happen. I know he had a, a position change coming, and that was part of it, but. If Josh Myers is just like, no, I'm going to finish my five years and, and then go try to be a first-round pick, I wouldn't be totally surprised by that. Yeah. Um, there was one list on another website that I saw, and the name Tyreek Smith was on there, and I was kind of taken back by it a little mm. bit. Um, I do think that we've seen um, players go from role players to starters and having monster years and being first-round picks after one year. I don't think it's crazy, but do you think that that's a, that's a reasonable thing? Uh, I don't. I don't find it totally unreasonable. Uh, it, like you said, it's happened before. Tyreek is very athletic. He's not had a whole lot of opportunity. He's had some injury stuff. But if he if he's healthy, if he's healthy and he's in a position where he's on the field a lot because they're just not quite as deep at defensive end as, as maybe they were hoping to be, then then I guess I can see it. Um, I think I might be more on alert for like. Teron Vincent's healthy and plays an awesome year, and he's gone, and you got one year out of Teron Vincent. I think I I would maybe project that a little more than I think like Tyreek Smith becomes a first round pick in a year, maybe two years down the road, or maybe he becomes a second round pick. But I'm not sure. I just don't know if we've seen enough of that yet. And, and Teron Vincent, I'm only saying that because he was the number one player to, at his position in the country in the 2018 recruiting class. Okay, I know that we're pushing an hour here, Bill. And I don't want to get in the way of your host, but I need to know, man. I've been waiting an hour to hear this shit. But what is the best breakfast bread? Yeah, we're going to have a sandwich. We're going we're gonna to go long on this podcast because we're going to get. To, I'm not going. I can't keep promising subscriber questions and then not getting to them. So we're going to stretch it. We'll get to the questions. Uh, my best breakfast bread is. I'm torn. I like. A, I like a good uh, everything bagel. I like. A, I like some nice Texas toast. And I also like, I don't know, we call them Kaiser rolls in Philly, just like the round rolls. I don't know what they're, at. I don't know if they're called different things other places, but it's Kaiser, yeah, roll. Kaiser roll, a pork roll, egg and cheese. You know what pork roll is? No, I'm pork, Googling pork it right roll now. Pork roll slash Taylor ham. It's kind of the same thing. East Coast delicacy. A pork roll, egg and cheese on a Kaiser roll is just out of bounds. The best breakfast sandwich you can have. So I, I think like when I think breakfast sandwich, that's the first thing I think of. So I'm going to go Kaiser rolls, my number one breakfast bread, which might be a kind of a weird pick. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. I think it's a uh, really good everything bagel. And if it's uh, and you're if you're in a situation where you can't get a good bagel, because I think a bad bagel sucks, um, I would go with croissant with a very um, close second. Croissant's an interesting one. You like you like the the BK the BK croissant, which. The best breakfast sandwich in fast food is the Burger King croissant, which, but it's because I love the taste of a croissant and melted cheese. And I know that I'm a weird person with breakfast sandwiches, but I only like my breakfast sandwiches, egg and cheese. And I like sausage and I like bacon and I like breakfast meat. Like if I'm having a breakfast, but on my sandwich, I like it plain, which I know that you think is a psychopathic uh, decision making, but. Yeah, I'm I'm sitting here right now looking at Google Image Search, 
of um, pork roll, and there's a lot of uh, breakfast sandwiches on a Kaiser roll, so it looks like this might be an East Coast Philly thing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's the way to go. Um, Next time Ohio State plays at Rutgers, we'll get, great. We'll get you one. And there's one that is really good, and it's kind of like probably isn't worth being in the discussion, I guess, because it's not as mainstream or you wouldn't make it at home. But, like, the idea of, like, waffles as the <laughs> bread in a sandwich and, like, pancakes, like in the McGriddle, like, that's a pretty solid thing, too. But, like, I don't think any rational person ever makes a pancake at home to be, like, the bread in their breakfast sandwich. I was going to so ask, if you, have, you, to, have you done that at home? Have you had that outside of never. McDonald's? The only time I've had a breakfast sandwich that um, was a other <laughs> breakfast type of delicacy, like a waffle or um, pancake, is at McDonald's. And I think I might have had a waffle sandwich once at um, Dunkin' Donuts when I was out in the East Coast for something. But I've never made it at home, no. I wouldn't mind having a breakfast sandwich on a nice uh, nice challah. Uh, challah. Yeah, no, you hey. Words to live by there, bud. <laughs> Challah French toast where you double down that's egg bread basically with the egg. Nothing. Nothing that can top that. And the other thing my mom used to make me when I was a kid is, and I think that this is common breakfast, but um, it's called, I think, bird in a basket or something, you know, where you put the, the you cut a hole in the middle oh, yeah. of, of the piece of bread and then you put an egg in there and it's like almost French toast. But she used to do that with Eggo waffles and I swear to God, they're so good. <laughs> I'm starving right now. We got to yeah, wrap this mom, up. Your, I'm, your I'm mom gonna, really hooks it up. Huh? My blood sugar's getting low here. Come on. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll knock out some subscriber questions, and uh, maybe I'll, I'll write a mailbag with some of the ones we don't get to later this week. Uh, if you're again not a subscriber, you can get subscribed at theathletic.com/slash/four-dash-six. Thank you so much for being a subscriber if you are and listening to this. And thanks for the questions. Uh, let's start with the draft question because that might take the longest, and then we can go through some of the other ones quicker. Um, Andy C. Or no, I'm sorry. Ryan B. said, could you guys do an assistant coaching staff draft from the day Meyer era? Would love to see each of your strategies in building a staff. And I don't want to go like all nine or ten because it would take too long. So let's do five quick rounds. Um, and okay. basically so someone someone's going to get to pick Ryan Day and then someone's going to get to pick two assistants. Um Okay, so Ryan Day counts as an urban assistant. Yeah, that was my Ryan first Day question. Counts, I was Ryan ask Day you. counts as an urban assistant. Um, so do you want Ryan Day or do you want the next two picks? <laughs> I want the next two okay. picks. All right. I'll take Ryan Day first. Okay. okay. Um, I'll take taking. Larry Johnson. Yeah, I know you're taking Larry Johnson and Kerry yeah, Combs. Those were, how do you know who I'm taking? Because those are the, Cause it's cause obvious. I don't know how you could take anybody else. Okay. Without, yeah, I don't know how you could take anyone. I think the next two picks are very obvious too. The next two are obvious. Well, maybe not up. Oh, maybe not obvious, but um, is it Tim Beck? Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Um, it's you already murdered uh, an assistant on the last podcast. You might want to just yeah build the, <laughs> maybe give yourself a week off. Bill your Davis will not be getting drafted in this exercise. I can tell you that much. Um, I'm gonna take who Jeff Halfley. That's who you're taking. I have two Jeff picks. Halfley. I'm going to take Jeff Halfley okay. with the fourth overall pick, and then I'm back again, and I'm going to take Brian Hartline. Okay. And I'm keeping – I'm basically just building Ohio State's current coaching staff or from, or from okay, the 2019 yeah. season. Uh, I think you you missed two that I would take before them. Um, 
So I'm going to take two now, right? You take two. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to take Luke Fickle, yeah. which I think is a vast oversight on your part. Yeah. I don't know if you just, just – did you make – was that an accident or did you actively choose not to take Fickle there? No, I like Luke Fickle. I, I think I might like – I don't know. I think I think it's all kind of Luke Fickle's eye for talent was like the perfect thing that you need on every Ohio State staff yeah. with an Ohio guy. I think that's important yeah. if we're making the staff. And I'm also, even though he kind of seems like a uh, person who might be on the hot seat right now in his head coaching position, let's not forget how people worshipped Tom Herman when he was the quarterback whisperer that helped Ohio State win a national championship. So, like, I would take. There's two. It's between Herman and someone else right now on my board and i would take herman herman because we're talking about person as an assistant right herman was a good recruiter brought in uh, jt barrett had a good eye for talent and obviously you know for as much credit as ryan day gets for the development of quarterbacks let's not all forget what people felt about tom herman and the job that he did in 14 with uh, jt and cardale and getting them prepared after braxton unexpectedly got injured yeah, I think it's a good pick. Tom Herman was a very solid assistant coach here. Um, my next pick, ooh, it's it's really. I'll tell you what, the the, the herd has been thinned significantly. Um, it is. I'm gonna go. Uh, uh, don't hold his performance as a head coach against me because when he was here, oh, he was good. Shit. Chris Ash. Yeah, that's that was the person I was. I was picking between Herman and Ash there. And I was hoping that you would forget about him. Ash revamped the defense that won the national title. Yes. Enough said. I think he's a very good defensive coach. I, that's that, that's a great pick. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. And then my last pick. I'm, ooh, man. I don't know who's even left at this point. I had a list and they're all gone. I'm going to so take. Like I'm just going to have to throw take, someone off the cuff I'm going to take Kevin Wilson. I think he's a okay, great, that's, I think he's a great okay. offensive coach. And uh, I think like Ed Warner was a really good offensive line coach, and I think Stud's a decent offensive line coach. But I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat and say that Kevin Wilson is also a good offensive line coach. So you get his offensive line expertise and his offensive expertise. Kevin Wilson's my guy. My last pick. Okay. Well, this. So I've got three names on my list. I lied. I just didn't want to give you a heads up. Kevin Wilson was my next pick. If you didn't take him, so I think we're on the same page here. Um, there's three left that I have written down as draftable. Um, Greg Giano. Mm-hmm who, in my opinion, is like a villain in Ohio State's eyes right now because of the way the defense played a few years ago. But he was still a very good coordinator and coach for a while. You know, it's not like he just sucked his whole career. Um, He had one bad year. Um, Ed Warner is on this list because of his ability to develop offensive linemen, and I think he's doing a good job again at Michigan. Didn't they just have a run of offensive linemen drafted this year? Four guys drafted, yeah. Um, I don't know if he was the pick there for offensive coordinator in 15 but i do think that in his role he's a great assistant coach and tony alford is my other yep. one just because they've developed running backs and he's on a recruiting run right now but like in terms of bang for your buck we're talking about a guy who's a head coach in the nfl and a guy who i mean i would take greg shiano greg shiano I, I wasn't 100 percent sure like i mean with us which way did you think i was I thought you go? might go tony greg shiano is a great recruiter I think that's, that's that's I mean Greg Schiano did a lot for this program and I know that people don't remember his time fondly but if you don't recognize what he did here um and some of the talent that he brought in and the fact that he closed on a lot of guys as the defensive coordinator you know you're nuts as, as if that's the fifth guy I'm drafting out of 5 
Um, I don't think he's in the top 10 based on this position that we've drafted him in, right? Or he is number 10 maybe, but like at this position, that's in tremendous value in my opinion. Yeah, okay. So the guys who have coached here that we didn't pick are uh, Tim Beck, Mike Yersich, Corey Dennis, who's brand new, Stan Drayton, Tony Alford, Zach Smith, Tim Hinton, Greg Stoudrawa, Mike Rabel, Bill Davis, Al Washington, Taver Johnson, Everett Withers, Alex Grinch, Greg Madison, and Matt Barnes. And I think if you were doing a draft of the 10 – I think of all those guys, maybe the only one who we might find some difference in is, is putting Tony Alford somewhere on that list. Um, was I the last? That pick? was the last pick, five and five. So you have okay, you have yeah. who are the two teams? You have uh, or two staffs, I guess I should say. You have Larry Johnson, Kerry Combs, Luke Fickle, Tom Herman, and Greg Schiano. Very solid list. I have Ryan Day, Jeff Halfley, Brian Hartline, Chris Ash, and Kevin Wilson. I think I might have lost. I think yeah. you did, but. <laughs> I mean, but one of them is Ohio State's current head coach who's actually killing Yeah, but so, you had, like, Larry... I mean, I, I, There's only one guy on this list. There's only one guy of all the people we could have picked who is in the conversation for the best to ever do it, and you got him. Well, when you gave me the, 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 the choice between taking day number one or snaking, like, you were going to give me two out of the top three. If you would have had the number one pick... And I think that you could make you it... Taken day? I would have taken Johnson yeah, still. I thought about it. Um, but that's we're talking about assistants here. Who is the best assistant coach? I would take Ryan Day in the who should be the head coach draft, which is like a nuanced discussion. But I don't know if you could say that anybody in the last 10 years has been a better assistant coach at Ohio State than Larry Johnson. Yeah, or, or anywhere else for that matter. He's been really good. Okay. Right. Right in that role. Let's uh, let's let's breeze through some questions here. Uh, Dylan S said, "If you could go back in the last twenty years and turn one OSU loss into a win, which game would it be?" I think we're both on the same page there. Twenty fifteen Michigan State. Unless you what have does a that different mean, answer. If I could turn it, in? I mean that's the most obvious one for a fan. Uh, would be what was it, over the course of twenty years? The last twenty years, turn one loss into a win. So, like, the national championship game against Florida would be on there, too. Probably 06 Florida game would be yeah. would be my pick for from a fan's perspective, yeah. Because, like, why would you – Ohio State would have still had to go on to win the playoff. You're already in the national – or the LSU game, either one of them, because they lost two national championships during the Trussell era. You always want to add a championship. I think the idea of, I th- I would of say being that f- a dynasty, which Ohio State would have been had it won in 2015, is enticing. Yeah, I mean, 2002, then 2006 is a little bit further spread apart. I mean, I think if you had to take the top five, um, I think it would be the two national championship games, um, the Purdue game from two years ago, uh, the 15 Michigan State game, and then this Clemson loss. I think of the five of the last 20 I can think of. I think that's right. Uh, Let's see. Benjamin M. He said, given the amount of safeties and combo players, basically corners and safeties in the secondary that will be in this year's recruiting class, does that mean the days of having a one high defensive backfield based defense are over? Uh, I think no. All right, coach, you you handle that one. I th- I think no. Like Ryan Day, it's it's a weird thing because Ryan Day has said like this is our what you saw last year, single high cover three, cover one, like that's our base defense. Kerry Combs came in and said like single high cover three, cover one. That's our that's our base defense, but they were also like very coy about what they were going to be defensively going into last season. 
So like part of me is on a little bit of an alert that like like being so definitive and saying this is our base D is a little bit of a smokescreen and maybe it won't be. But I'm not going to guess that, I guess, until we see it. So uh, the days of that being the base defense I don't think are over. What Kerry Combs is being brought in here to do, at least partly being brought in here to do, is add more to it. And adding to it is more split safety coverages, which is why you're seeing Ohio State kind of load up on safeties here a little bit. I think they need more of those guys. Um, I'm I'm interested to see if they do more uh, like personnel groupings, like you might see at the NFL level with with as many defensive backs as they're bringing in. Kerry Combs has talked a lot about wanting guys who can do different things in the back end, play the slot, play outside, play deep safety. Um, and if you look at some of these guys that they recruited, especially in the 2021 class, it's like they're a defensive back, and maybe they lean one way more than than they do the other. But I think they you could you could see a path for them to play multiple positions, and and maybe that's the way the defense is heading a, a little more multiple, I guess, than than they were last year because they were they were pretty heavy, like almost exclusively single high, with with rare exceptions in, in the regular season. Um, and then they brought it out against Clemson, and I just don't think it was something they had done long enough or, or just done enough to be good at it, and they weren't particularly good at it against Clemson. So I think they want to become better at that because that gives you more answers for when you play teams that have more dynamic offenses than you're going to come across on a week-to-week basis when, when you're in the Big Ten. But I don't think we're seeing a philosophical shift already after one year from what Ohio State did defensively last year. You got anything to add to that? I don't think John Gruden would have anything to add to that. Yeah, I was going to do a Gruden impersonation, but I decided against it. Yeah, I heard the deep breath. <laughs> Thought about it. Um, I don't. We might have answered this question before. Andy C asked us, "Who's our favorite? Who has been our favorite player to cover during our time in the beat, and why?" I mean, there's different reasons yeah. um, for it, but what would your answer be? You go first. It's hard to pick one because, like, fun to watch and, like, fun to talk to aren't always necessarily the same thing. Um, like, combination yeah. combination of talent and, like, just a blast to talk to because he was funny is probably Von Bell. Yeah, um, that's a good one. Von Bell was really funny and very, yeah, the way he would smile and the way he would answer questions, it was I mean, I'm just going to say my favorite person to watch was Braxton Miller. My favorite person to interview was Jeff Hireman. Yeah, Jeff Hireman. <laughs> Jeff Hireman was pretty damn fun. <laughs> yeah. I only got – my first year in the beat was 2014, so I only got one year of Hireman. Um, but I was there – If I ask you a – Good. If I ask you a, hi, a question like I'm a reporter and you're Hireman, will you try to do a Jeff Hireman impersonation? No. Because you know exactly what he answered to my question. I'll, I'll I'll do it then. You ask me the question and then I'll answer it. But the question has to be: Do you yeah. think you maximized okay. hey, your time at Ohio State, uh, Jeff? Would you say you uh, maximized your time at Ohio State? <laughs> Off the field, <laughs> yeah. On the field, no. <laughs> it was the greatest. Doug asked him that question, right? <laughs> yeah, it's the greatest quote like, of all time. Did I kind of sound bit, yeah. like him? It's that ch- it's that chuckle where he's like looking around the room like everybody knows what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, it's, it's like uh, whichever one of the guys from Beavis and Butthead talked that way. It's like that, but like not as squeaky. <laughs> it's a little deeper, a little more, a little more man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> off the field. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That's a good pick. Jeff Hireman's a good pick. I still stick by Von Bell. Fun, yeah. the most fun guy to watch. I didn't cover Braxton, so I don't. I don't know if it's Braxton. Maybe Zeke. Watching Zeke run on on some of those long touchdowns was, was pretty fun to watch. Um, I sometimes like to think how I would be if I were on the team. Like if I were really good and I was like talking to the media and like maybe 
Jerry, uh, the sports information director or coaches would shut it down, but I would just shoot the shit, man. I'd go out there and I would be like Billy Price, a little bit of like conversational and always has something to say and insightful. But at the same time, like I would say whatever I'm thinking, which is how I am now. But like, I think I would be the most entertaining person to interview if, if I was ever in that position. Cause I would talk shit. Like what's that's <laughs> it's sports. I'm like trying, what do you I'm mean? Like, it's sports. You as a player and somebody asking you if talent matters. <laughs> Do you think that's how is your uh, level of um, how confident are you that Ohio State can win the game this week? Uh, well, we have nineteen composite five star prospects in our starting lineup, and they have two. So, what do you <laughs> what think? do you think? Can you imagine that as a quote? Gonna happen? Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> like, I would know all the recruiting stats, and yeah, it'd be great. All right, it'd be a reporter's dream. <laughs> Let's do. We'll do one more question. We'll wrap up with this one. Um, and it starts off on a sad note, but I think it's an interesting premise. Uh, from Nate W., he say, "Let's say the worst has happened and the season is canceled or postponed, but addicts such as myself are still looking to get their fix on fall Saturdays. My girlfriend had the idea of rewatching an old season, one game per weekend. I was thinking 2002. It was before my time as a Buckeye." probably more accessible than some of the older seasons and obviously ends in a championship. What do you think of this plan and what season would you guys recommend? Well, the accessibility thing is important because I don't know, like if you could go back and watch the 1974 Michigan state or Michigan game. Um, but like if it was before his time as a fan and he doesn't have intimate memories of like what occurred throughout the regular season, because the Miami game is all the, all the people remember, but like, Ohio State almost lost every game that year except, like, three or four. So, like, if you – that would be the obvious and clear pick to me, especially if you don't have fond memories or never watched it the first time as a fan. But I think it would be also fun, if it were possible in terms of accessibility, to pick a random season from, like, the 80s or the 70s and not knowing the outcome of the games that are played. So, like, if you sat down and, like, watched all the games from a 70s season – You'll get a good taste of what football used to be like. You'll get a good lesson in Ohio State football history. And then when you're watching the games, you actually won't know who wins or loses. Just pick a random year. I think that would be yeah, most Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, to, to add a little suspense to it. It's it, it, The accessibility thing just makes it nearly nearly impossible. I don't even know if you can go back and get all of 2002. Um, the one I feel like the, the best season that I feel best about being able to find every game is 2014. But that's so recent that I don't even know if that would be an enjoyable experience. Um, for people o2 would be yeah. the best like I, we talked about before i went back and watched the o2 title game in in full for the first time a couple weeks ago and i really enjoyed that experience and like i read about the season before i watched the game just to get some some context and that season sound absolutely insane that the way they had the scrape to win some of those games and it ends with them winning a national title yeah that's probably the best one but to go back and watch like 68 would be cool uh, the ability to watch a season that you know ends in a national championship, but every single game of the year was entertaining. Like sometimes, like these Ohio State years, Bill. I mean, you agree. You could wipe my ass with seven of the <laughs> thirteen games on the schedule. I mean, like you. I don't know if that's if I'm, I'm actually been using a little bit more profanity than I usually do in this. I'm feeling kind of good right now. I had a morning walk, little hike, and about to get a little smoothie uh, going here. But like seriously, like a lot of these games are so not even competitive that it's not even fun. You know, in the O2 season, Ohio State either blew teams out that were really good. Like earlier on in the year, they they played a game 
against Washington State, and it was like the the emergence of a Z, of uh, sorry uh, Maurice Claret at the time. So like they were playing like Washington State and Jason Gesser. Remember that guy? Mm-hmm. And um, so they blew them out, but they also you got to see Ohio State's best players emerging. Um, and I just O two would be the the unquestionable answer to that question. Yeah. That's a cool idea by uh, by Nate's girlfriend, and and I think I think Nate's on the right track there, picking two thousand two. Um, I don't know. You could do it now, in the yeah. quarantine. I I told you that I was going to do a story, ten games most Ohio State fa- or all Ohio State fans should rewatch while there's no live sports yeah. in Ohio State history, and I haven't done that yet. Um, I should probably just do that. You should do it. I think people would like it. Uh, I'd be curious to see like what's available. And the other thing about it is, too, when you do that, it is possible. I don't know how far back it goes, and you have to pay for it, and it's not really that cheap. But you can get BTN Plus, and you can go back through and watch full se- Like, I did that. When I charted Justin Fields' throws, I wanted to be able to watch the entire game and get all the angles and stuff like that. So, like, I went back through and watched the original broadcast of every game last season. It wasn't, like, it wasn't 40-minute cut-ups or anything like that. And it goes back, I think, a couple years, so... I know there's if you did that list, maybe there's only one or two games from the last five years, five or six years that you'd pick. But that's an option too if you're looking to watch old games and you don't mind spending a little money for it. Yeah, good. yeah, that'll be good. I think you should do that because I, I I would be excited to read that. Um, I'm gonna do too. Uh, my draft story went up on Monday. Uh, I think next week. I don't want to promise it too hard because it maybe be later than that. But I'm going. I have I have also never watched the 2006 Michigan game in its entirety. Um, so I'm going to do a very similar thing that I did with the 2002 uh, Fiesta Bowl with the 2006 Michigan game, and I'm excited to do that as well. So that's coming down the road on the athletic. Um, any anything you want to plug, Ari? This podcast, this podcast. Uh, four to six with A and B, forty um, percent off if you go to www.theathletic.com four six slash four six. Sorry, did I steal that from you? No, that's good. That's a good I've reminder. Got, I've folks. got some. I've got some stuff I'm reporting on this week. I don't want to promise anything until I know where I'm getting, though. So uh, just uh, stick with me, and you, you got Bill, and uh, you know, hopefully we got you covered. <laughs> Please uh, subscribe, rate, and review to uh, this podcast wherever you find your podcast. We'd greatly appreciate it. That helps us out. Uh, we will. Be, I think we're we're about ready to do like an all mailbag episode. I think I said we would do it this week, but then the draft happened, and we thought well, maybe we should do this instead. But sometime. In the next, you know, two or three episodes, I think we'll do an all mailbag show and and let you guys sort of make us talk about whatever you want us to talk about as we've entered like the weird part of the off season now that the draft is over and just waiting to see what's going to happen. So we'll try to keep you entertained while we're all stuck in there. We'll still do some things. I think to preview the twenty twenty season um, as if it's happening as normal because for all we know it it is, and then when that changes, we'll we'll adapt. But. We'll keep trying to keep you entertained and and pumping out that interesting content in the meantime. Uh, For Ari, I'm Bill. Thank you so much for listening. 4 to 6 with A and B.